he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. friends, welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotta, and I'm here as I am every week with the one and only Alex Apostolini. Hi, Alex. Hello. What's How shaking? are you? What's shaking? Well, um, I, I was in Vegas this last weekend. Oh, mm-hmm. voila. Well, get away, get away. For uh, well, it's for our dear friend Cher's birthday. For her birthday, yeah. Or as they say in the hood, birthday. Birthday. Um, <laughs> in my hood, I mean, of course. Uh, what uh, What did you do in Vegas? Uh, well, sent her shopping prior to getting there because our flight was delayed almost three hours getting in. Um, From so San Diego, to- I mean, you could have driven there faster. You really good. Well, we ended up having fun. Because Jan and I sat in the airport and, well, what are you going to do sitting in an airport? So we had a cocktail, met some nice people and chatted and laughed and, you know, so that was good. And then we cooked for, you know, about 25 people. Oh, so party. that's so nice. So basically you went there to work. <laughs> but it was it was a joint effort. It just was uh, kind of my recipes because it's a nice thing. To, it's like a one pot wonder. So it's a good thing to do for a party. It was for all of her family. We got to stay in a beautiful condo that one of her cousins owns. And it's kind of the a family zone. When family comes in, they can stay there. So oh, they yeah. let us stay there. So it was luxury accommodations, beautiful kitchen to cook in. So let's talk about this one pot wonder for parties. Uh, share what it is, if, you, if you're willing. And- I am. And, uh, you know, it's, it sounds like it could be a good tip. You know, I'm going to tell you, I've, if my mother, she may be rolling right now because this is her recipe. I call it her trailer park chili. Um, I like one pot wonder. But I'm going to tell you, it's so good uh, because everybody, at, oh, most people, once they make it, they want the recipe. And it really is, it's super easy, but I made it two ways. I made it with, completely vegetarian because that's how I always eat it. So with vegetarian crumbles, then I made it with ground beef and it's just beans and, you know, lots of good spices and refried beans. And I made corn casseroles. And so we had that and had people bring salad and, you know, yeah, corn casserole. Oh, even better. Really good. And that's one of those recipes you get. But now you're out somewhere. Huh? But now you're outside of one pot. Um, well, one pot for the main dish, and that's the side dish. Okay. No, not, I'm digging it. Totally digging it. So is there, a special, is there a special spice that you use that you wouldn't mind sharing um, to give your chili a special kick? Well, it depends on who I'm cooking it for. If I'm making it solely for me, I use jalapenos, or I do a combination of Anaheim peppers and dehydrated jalapeno. And of course you have to use cumin and you have to use chili powder. And, um, you know, I kind of coat the vegetables really well in all this. 
mm-hmm. and a little olive oil and get it going. And then you start to layer a little bit of tomato sauce. And then you layer with some of the beans and you let it simmer. And you have to have broth in there, a little bit of broth in there. If you're using the vegetarian crumbles, cause they don't give off any fats, you know, a little right. broth. Nope. If you're using ground beef, you don't need that. So it's just a crock pot or any pot or doesn't matter. It really I do matter. it in a pot and sometimes I'll do it in a crock pot, but I always do the vegetables first. And if I'm going to do it in a crock pot, I saute the veggies for, you know, the, the onion and the garlic and the peppers first, because right. otherwise it just, they don't come out tasting good. If you just throw those into a crock pot, you just get lackluster. You, you lose the flavor, right? You got to bring out the flavor with the saute, right? And then you dump the whole thing in, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I always just do it. Yeah, if I make it ahead of time, I make it all in the pot and then I dump it in the crock pot and then the next day I'll let it simmer. Because chili really does taste better the next day, it doesn't it? It's one of those, it's like tomato sauce or spaghetti sauce, I should say. Uh, spaghetti sauce always tastes better after the first day when, when it all, you know, really all the flavors meld together. And, and my mother... Um, still says it's better after it's frozen like take it out of the freezer use it again that's if you don't keep well, yeah, it of course. Too long but yeah which you is I, I um yeah i used to tell my mom and i would go away and i'd be gone for long periods of time and i'm gonna come home now and i would kind of threaten her i want your sauce which is all day i want chili and I want your Manhattan clam chowder. And I want them all ready for when I come home so I can pick and choose which I want when I walk through the front door. And you say, if you don't make those three things for me, I'm not coming home. See, you've given your mother purpose. <laughs> such a good daughter. She was such a fabulous cook. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. like two things I make better than her, but it's more just I make them to my taste, but I can't hold a candle to her. That woman could make a gourmet meal out of a can of corn. That's incredible. That is incredible. That's why, that, but that's why you are a good cook, and that's why you take such great care. Uh, my mother made reservations when I was a kid. <laughs> Seriously, because we were the only two. You know, I had older brother and sister, and they were sort of on their own. And my father worked late, so so many a night it was just my mother and I. Uh, so yeah, we went out to eat, and that was my favorite thing to do. As you can see, it is still my favorite thing to do. I still don't know what to do in a kitchen pretty much. Uh, I'm going to say that that's a falsehood, my friend, because I've had your lasagna. Oh, the one, the lasagna and the turkey. That's about it. You want a lasagna? You want me to cook a turkey? I got it. And those two are not easy things to make. You know, anybody can boil a hot dog. Well, not anybody. Well, most people can boil a hot dog. (laughs) I, so my brother's, my, I have you know, two older brothers and the middle one, bless his heart, love him. He had a wife, may she rest in peace. She passed away young, could not, could not cook. She had, had many talents. Cooking was not one of them. And one day she said to me, as we were taking turns, taking care of my dad, it was before he passed. She said, Lex, I really want sloppy Joe's. How do you make it? I said, oh, that's easy. A, B, C, and D. So I said, hey, I'm going to the store. I'll get you the ingredients. So I went to the store. I got the ingredients. I'm at the, con- you know, my, where my dad was living and we're there. And she's sitting there. And she goes, well, what do I do? I said, chop the onion. I don't know how to do that. I'll chop the onion for you. Okay. Now, get your pan hot. You know, you put the olive, get your pan hot, heat up the olive oil, 
put your onions and garlic in there. And she's looking at me and I said, then you're going to add this spice and this spice. And then you're going to add this, you know, the ground beef. And she's just looking at me with, I said, do you just want me to make it for you? Cause by the time I'm done explaining it, it will be done and you will have dinner. Right. That's what she wanted all along. It was, it was. She said, so. Would you make it for me? I'll pay for the goods. Yeah. <laughs> like really, it's just, let me just do it for you, kiddo. It's going to be a lot easier. A whole lot easier on both of us. Yes. So I got back in town on Friday and Susan Ulovich and Richard Ulovich, my dear friends, they're so kind and wonderful. They invited me to see uh, their good friend, Ted Sperling and Michael Feinstein <laughs> at the Shell on Saturday evening. And it was like a spoonful of sugar to my soul because it was just, first of all, uh, the whole concert was about Judy Garland and all of the uh, research that uh, Michael Feinstein has done on her life and her music. And he, he comprised a beautiful concert of uh, medleys and um, full songs of all of, of Judy's hits with tidbits about her life and uh, with beautiful visuals behind him. It was so well orchestrated and, and timed. It was seamless, seamless. Uh, and at one point he showed, and this was, Unreal. Uh, he was talking about being given access to her house. Wow. And he talked about knowing from the stories that she had a recording machine in her first house, the one that she bought in 1939 uh, with the money that she made from The Wizard of Oz. She bought a house for her family and she had a recording machine in that house and she made lots of records, recordings but they were nowhere to be seen or found. And he found them <gasps> behind a hidden wall in this house. And so he played a beautiful, well, it's very scratchy, very, you know, uh, vinyl, if you will, recording of her singing. Oh, goodness. Uh, uh, I think it was, um, it's a song she's not known for. It's a, a, shoot, I should know the song because I, I know the song. It's a song she's not known for, but she was singing it a cappella on this recording and he accompanied her on the piano and it was so beautiful. And then at the end of the show, you know, of course he saved, I kept turning to Susan and Richard saying, he's going to do uh, Over the Rainbow as an encore. I can mm -hmm. guarantee that right now. And so, of course, it was time for the encore. And he, he's about to launch into, he does the verse, which very few people know. And he's about mm -hmm. to launch into the, to the refrain. And he suddenly on the screen up comes a, uh, a video of Judy singing over the rainbow, not in the show, not in, not in the movie, but as a, as a young woman. Ugh. And he sings a uh, harmony with her. So it was, it was just so exquisitely 
composed, orchestrated, arranged, uh, conducted by Ted. And the, the symphony sounded gorgeous. He opened with Get Happy, of course. Um, he sang uh, The Man That Got Away, of course. Uh, he, he, he had, it was as though they were good friends. He had so many intimate stories about her. It was really tremendous, really tremendous show. And uh, I want to thank Richard and Susan again for giving me that gift because the shell is gorgeous. Being out there uh, in, in the great outdoors in San Diego on a summer night and hearing this lush orchestra, there's really nothing better. And, and the, the sound, the, the amplification, the, better than they were with the old shell. Mm -hmm. Such a much better experience. The lighting is gorgeous. And uh, so that was really a treat. And I wanted to share that with you. I love that man. I just, he's one of my favorite, favorite performers. I had never seen him live. You know, I've heard a lot of his recordings and um, have liked them, but I've never seen him live. And he's very charming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's really a good performer. Oh, he's, he's wonderful. He's so energetic and dynamic and fun. Watching him with Marvin, Marvin Hamlish as well. That was an amazing show. Oh, I can the imagine. The two of them. And he's got quite, quite a bit of range and breath control. You know, he holds those notes at the end, like several times. He's like, All right, how many bars are we going to be here? Because I'm still holding this note. I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, I have fallen out bars ago. <laughs> He is a he true, and he's a, he's a lovely man. He's such a knight. He's very generous. And I want to see him. I would love to have seen that because that, that had to have been amazing. Now next he has to do Rosemary Clooney because he did have a relationship with her. And I would, I would pay bucks to go see that because I'm a Rosemary Clooney is one of my favorite. And a couple of times you've seen specials with him playing for her. Maybe he will. Maybe we should suggest it. He did Judy because this is the hundredth, the centennial of her birth this year, 22. I believe she would have been a hundred. Oh my God. Yeah. Francis Gum. She was very interesting. So I had forgotten that uh, when I first moved to California to San Diego, my boss, Cheryl Irwin, took me to dinner in Los Angeles with a friend of hers. And that friend was Sid Luft. Oh. He was in his 70s or 80s at the time. This was in the early 90s. I want to say he was in his 70s or 80s. And he was such a so kind and warm and gracious. And I didn't even know that Cheryl had any connection to him. But... And I'd forgotten all about this dinner. Uh, but at the show, when he started talk, talking about Lorna, uh, when Michael Feinstein started talking about Lorna, I, I instantly remembered, oh my gosh, that's right. I had this experience with Sid Luft. And the greatest thing about that experience, the dinner was just lovely. He couldn't have been more gracious afterwards. And I don't know, I cannot remember for the life of me why, but I was walking somewhere maybe my car was parked you know further away but he saw me outside of the restaurant and he asked me if i wanted to ride somewhere ah i'll never forget that i mean such a lovely 
Yeah. It's just, right? Yeah. That's awesome. I love stories like that. Yes. I love telling a story like that when I can, because that, that, I mean, he had to, he could have easily driven off and pretended like he didn't even see me, which Mm -hmm. is what most people would do. And he didn't. And it was so lovely. So um, the reason, except to say that Michael Feinstein is terrific and it'd be great to work with him. And I would definitely recommend him for certain audiences. Um, The reason I'm telling you, this is on the way. Of course, it's downtown. It's behind the convention center. It's behind the Hilton and the Marriott and the Hyatt. And uh, it's pretty much in the center of what's happening with Comic-Con now. And going down there, uh, I could see the the installations happening already. So uh, American Horror Story has an installation on the Hyatt, excuse me, the Hilton. Uh, There's something happening for uh, Star Wars on the Marriott. There uh, were installations happening on the grounds across from the convention center uh, where the Children's Museum is and installations occurring right outside of the convention center on the grassy knoll between that and the Hilton. So the city is already coming alive with Comic-Con and it doesn't even it hasn't even opened yet. It hasn't even started yet, but if you go downtown now, you will see it almost in its full splendor because it is almost about to open. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's not exciting for anybody who doesn't like Comic-Con and has to be downtown because, (laughs) because it's a full on takeover. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's like every character from every Marvel movie, uh, every superhero movie uh, has descended upon the city and you could be sitting anywhere and see a cavalcade of them walk by. And we're not talking about costumes that you purchase online on Amazon or for, for Halloween. We're talking about people who spend buku bucks and lots of time and energy crafting these incredible, larger-than-life contraptions they call costumes, right? Yeah. It's, yes. it's amazing. It really is amazing. You don't need a ticket for Comic-Con to, to get enveloped in the experience, is my point. Simply take uh, a cab, an Uber, a Lyft to downtown San Diego. Don't drive. Don't park. Uh-huh. Don't intend to park. And take the trolley, too. Or you can take the trolley, too. That's for sure. Actually, I'm thinking I'd like to find a time around Ileana's work because she works the weekends and trolley down and just go get go get a meal and sit out, sit outside somewhere and people watch. Because that's that's four to five hours worth of entertainment right there. Just yes, exactly doing that. It's a good idea. My my nephew and um, his better half are coming. They're on their way now from L.A. uh, and they have tickets. So they will be spending the next three or four days at Comic-Con by Sunday. I think they'll be worn out. Uh, But they actually uh, trade in the 
uh, the merchandising, if you will. And my nephew has uh, two pop walls that um, are make D'Angelo's pop wall look like a peanut. I mean, it's it puts it to shame. <laughs> two two complete rooms in their in their house. Uh, one complete one room, two walls, floor to ceiling, stacked with pots. It's, it's really kind of interesting and amazing. And th this is, uh, is this is all hobby, or this is a something that's kind of a side hustle, merchandising, like trading, making it's money a, off of. It's a side hustle. Ah, yeah, it's a side hustle. He's always been about the side hustle. I remember when I was a. Uh, when, when he was younger, he would sell on eBay. I was like, the kid is like 16. What is he selling on eBay, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's a side hustle and they're going. It's fabulous to see it happening. Uh, it's great because COVID is still around and, you know, uh, this new variant is upon us. I don't have to tell anybody that. And I got an email yesterday from a colleague who was asking if events were starting to cancel because of this, and she was already beginning to worry that they were. And I think the fact that um, Comic-Con is moving forward and Pride moved forward last week with a record number of people, uh, upwards of 300,000 people reported to have been here. Um, so I don't see that events are going away. In fact, I looked at a CBENT article that was published recently uh, about the six event trends that we are embarking on right now. And we've been through this. We did this at the beginning of the year. We mm -hmm. talked about new trends. Well, I, I will say that um, there really isn't a lot new here, but but some interesting things. And one of them is that in-person events are definitely, definitely returning, even though there seems to be some uncertainty and uh, pe some people are still on the fence. And I, I would imagine that uh, liability still has a lot to do with it too, depending on, you know, where you sit in this, uh, in, in this uh, theater of the absurd. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, there will be some people who don't aren't comfortable meeting uh, now and some people that are more susceptible to COVID and, you know, that that still exists. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, American Express Meetings and Events, which is a division of Amex Global Business Travel, recently published uh, a forecast for 2022. And they uh, they uh, did a little bit of research. They talked to meeting planners and uh, it seems that there's high anticipation for in-person events for this year still, with 67% of those planners responding that they believe in-person meeting levels will return to pre-pandemic numbers within a year or two, which is very interesting. Uh, yeah, because that's what's happening now, right? There were, we're not at our, our, our attendee levels, our attendance levels like we have been. Um, While also, while the industry is not expected to resume normal operations, 
81% of all 2022 events are expected to have some sort of in-person component, which is an interesting way to put it because uh, I, I would, I'm more apt to say would have some kind of virtual component. Right. That's interesting. Yes. Phrased that way. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I think it shows that in per- uh, we all want it mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of time before it comes back fully. And this uh, is across the country. This is kind of an overall average for across the country. This is an overall average for the meeting and event industry. And uh, it's global. 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 You said global. Yes. Sorry about that. You did say that. And uh, to that point, uh, these planners are also saying that hybrid events continue, will continue, and virtual events will become more frequent. I, you know, I, I think that's, a, that's a, such a general way to put it. <laughs> and I, I do think it depends on the event offering and what, mm-hmm. what is in it for the producers. If, if there's an audience that is virtual, if they perceive that they can uh, convert a virtual audience to live audience or create a secondary stream of revenue based on virtual content, then yes hybrid will happen. But if that doesn't fit into the equation, it won't. I, I just don't believe it's going to be a part of every single meeting and event. It really will depend. It's a tool. And I think that um, all planners are best served if they if they look at it as a tool and, and just a tool. If there's a way to monetize the virtual, because mm-hmm. first of all, it's expensive and it's um, and the, and we've talked about this, the value from the perception of the value from an attendee, a virtual attendee point of view is much lower than the cost to give them what it is they desire. Mm-hmm. So unless it makes sense financially or in a as a KPI or a plan to move you know, forward, gain a bigger audience, then it's not going to be everybody's game. So, uh, and I don't, I think virtual events will become more frequent, but that doesn't mean they're replacing live events. Right. 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 I, I, yeah, I can't see them replacing. No. And I think, don't you think it's going to have to be, um, you know, for a virtual event to be successful, um, it's it's going to have to have a component that compels people to attend. Yes. It, it could be a webinar and by, and by virtual events, I I'm betting that webinars are the key there because they've existed for a long time mm-hmm. and they'll continue to exist. And, and learning online is becoming more and more ubiquitous. People are becoming more and more, open to the idea and more willing and more able to sit and focus. And, and it makes sense from a learning perspective, from a financial perspective to do that online. There are tools. Right. And right? As, as if you're the one viewing it and you have a recording of that, you get a chance to then go back and review it and to take notes. If you miss something, you know, if you need a refresher. So all of that is a plus. Right. So for me, the the advantage if you have you use the virtual aspect in that for the education purpose, but then the bigger exciting entertainment aspect or general sessions 
those need to be live. Right. Or the, um, the acknowledgement, the recognition events. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They must be live. Uh, I agree. So not disputing this. Um, I think hybrid will continue where it makes sense. And I think with virtual, we'll see some new kinds of events that come out of virtual that are specifically for the virtual audience and may possibly never ever have any intention to move beyond that. You know, it doesn't mean that they have to. Um, again, it's a tool. It's a new it's a new way to look at uh, how to bring in more attendees. Mm -hmm. That's how it should be viewed. Um, interesting that um, in this event article, they're also saying that the integration of more augmented virtual reality will become a part of meetings. Uh, I completely agree with that. I can't, I can't imagine anything else happening. <laughs> I mean, the first of all, um, AR is the latest thing and uh, it makes sense to immerse uh, potential customers, consumers in, in an AR environment, if you can. So I see it happening in the trade show environment, in the exhibit environment first, uh, because on a larger scale, it might just be too, uh, too much, just too much a heavy lift at this point um, to be able to, for example, give a thousand people in a ballroom and AR experience at the same time, you know, right. it requires tools and equipment and, um, and that's an expense, yes. but right. But I can see it sort of popping up in the exhibit hall, in in the uh, and outside of the exhibit hall, in in what what sponsors will call um, experiential mm -hmm. uh, booths or or areas, you know, uh, or uh, installations or interactions. Uh, they'll they can happen outside as well, but. Go ahead. I was going to say, because with stuff like if I with. All right, let's stop and rewind and try to spit that out again. Sorry. Um, you you have to designate your area. You have to make it safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just have thousands of people participating. It has to be. Confined in a, in a way. Well, you could if it wasn't a physical activity so you could actually sit everybody yes down, yes right yeah but but if it was an act you know like a physical activity no and 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 i'm and i i'm not even thinking about physical activity with regard to using ar at this moment in events although that's of course very possible and could be set up in an area but um I'm thinking really more about just giving them the experience of being immersed in something, which you can do with the mm -hmm. goggles sitting down. Uh, so yes, I, the content, well, you make a good point because you know, you have to think through that content. <laughs> well, and also what was I just watching some show? I don't remember what it was, but it was very funny. And they put, um, Oh, it was uh, space force. And they were doing an AR thing and he put it on John Malkovich's character and just experiencing it there. He was getting nauseated. Yes. Very funny. But that's something, quite honestly, you do have to take into experience. That's or, right. Into consideration. Yeah, you're, so, you're totally right. I've gotten nauseated doing, putting those goggles on and, 
you know, trying to do anything. It's your, your perspective is completely overwhelmed and overtaken. And yes, you can lose, you can lose reality. Oh, somebody wants to talk. Oh, hello. Which one are we looking at? Is that a rose bark? Uh, that I think might've been a Sadie bark. Um, I'm not sure why they're barking though. Um, they have no reason to bark. There's nothing happening. Well, you know, what's not happening. You're not giving them attention right now. Th that's true. <laughs> that's true. I even took them for a walk before this, this, uh, this uh, uh, recording because I wanted them to be a little tired and tuckered out, but they're not because they're, because they're puppies. Little puppies. Well, Rose is not so little anymore. That girl's getting big. No, she is getting big. She is too big. Stop it. Uh, one of the things that Cvent uh, mentioned that will impact meetings and events is the great resignation that we've also talked about. Uh, and that is just, of course, the fact that workers are, uh, they have higher expectations uh, in their roles and are looking for companies that place an importance on personal wellness, mental health, and maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And that does not describe the event industry, the <laughs> meaning event industry at all. Really? No. Really, really, I know you're shocked. Uh, so it, <laughs> yeah, so I can see how that's going to be a problem. And, and that's not the only reason. The, uh, the, a big reason is a lot of those people lost their jobs, were furloughed when this pandemic hit and uh, had to find other careers. Some of them um, were on call employees. And uh, you know, those people may come back or may have just decided it's just not, you know, they're not really gonna do it anymore. It's not important to them. So yeah, I'm sure that the, the um, great resignation of 2021 is definitely going to impact. It already is. You can already see it happening all around us. So I, I, I kind of chuckle at that because it's, it's listed as a forecast and I, I think a, a trend to see coming in, it's, it's here already. MeetingsNet also uh, uh, ran an article uh, just a few weeks ago written by Sue Hatch uh, called sticker shock inflation oh, weighs yeah. on meetings and meeting and event incentive planners. And, uh, Heather Mason shared this with us. Uh, she was on our show. Interesting to find out that, um, what is happening is that inflation is really starting to cripple some of the planning that has to happen. And, uh, one, one area is that international airfares are up 42% over 2019. And no surprise, meeting space Wi-Fi costs increased to six times the 2019 rate. Holy moly. At some hotel with the, the identical specifications. Now I know what we were spending in 2019 and it was a lot. So I'm, I'm mortified. I, I saw it coming. And the reason for that is nobody made money in two years and people are, mm -hmm. and now we have inflation and there's a lot of lost ground. And I don't see uh, in our, in our, 
experience thus far, there's been absolutely no negotiating. And any uh, favored rates that you got are out the window anymore. Um, it's just it's just crazy. One of the other things uh, that's happening is that shipping is going up. Of course, labor costs have gone up. Yep. Rental costs have gone up. Inflation is topping out at 9%. It, uh, it will probably stay around 8% by the end of the year. So the problem is that um, even though it may remain flat, the prices will now catch up. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, a lot of these people haven't planned a, a, a live and in-person meeting since 2019. You know, 2020 was canceled and maybe they had some credit or leftover, were, were able to negotiate something, and maybe they haven't used that yet. But once that's used, it's just a whole new ball game for everyone. I, I, and and I, I'm concerned, quite honestly, because... We call our, I call us lovingly the bottom feeders of the <laughs> business because people think about their engagement last always. Yes. And, um, you know, of course it makes sense, right? I, I don't mean to sound disparaging. You first got to get people somewhere. You first got to give them a place to stay. Right. You first got to feed them. That all makes total sense to me. So, so we're I'm, lovingly the redheaded stepchild. We are lovingly, but that means less money. For, for people to spend on the things that matter so much and the things that people notice. Uh, so I'm hopeful that, you know, um, budgets expand a bit and that uh, the planners are able to convince their procurement officers or their C-suite that, you know, the spend has to be bigger than it was in 2019. Uh, because I, I, I can imagine the planner not wanting to give a lackluster experience and feeling that without an increase in their budget, there's going to be no way they can deliver something better or at least on a par with what they did in 2019. And that's, that's important, right? Because at the end of the day, this is what happens. Very few people realize, even if they've made the decision to not spend the money, that they're, they're willing, very few people are willing to blame it on the fact that they didn't spend the money. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It becomes the planner's fault. It becomes that person's fault for not being able to do more with less. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not a fun place to be for a planner. So this is the time when planners are best served by relationships that they've had for a long time, those that will work with them and help them to deliver on the experiences that they've been given because there's no, there's really, there's really no other way, right? I mean, it's right. going to be tight. It is, it is. It very much is. And I, I just know from the uh, artist's standpoint on this, some who have not raised their rates are starting to say, I need to get in line. Yes, I don't, I don't imagine that's untrue at all. And they're, they're right. They are they right. They're, they they're are right. right. And because, because their costs are going up when you have to replace equipment or if you are somebody who does events where you have to find and purchase product to build an event and all of that is going up, but your rates aren't going up. And I, I work 
pretty closely with a couple of people like that. And they keep asking me for advice. Right. I mean, it's, it's costing them more money just to drive to the job. And, and we're not talking about, you know, it's costing them a few dollars. It's costing Mm -hmm. them dollars. You know, it's a, it's a much bigger expense and that's just, you know, the beginning of it. So and product is twice and sometimes three times as much expensive or, or more expensive. And we're talking little things, but when you're doing little things on a mass scale and it's now three times as expensive as it was in 2019 or even in 2020, you have to take that into consideration. Absolutely. And, and I, would, I would recommend that uh, people consider raising their rates and then consider working with those clients that they've worked with for a long time, if they can financially make it work um, slowly to get them to bump up, if, if that's even possible. I know that we've been able to do that with some clients because we're not so fast to pull the trigger every year and say, oh, it's going up, up, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. You know, I mean, to some degree, there's a little bit, you know, 3%, 5%, but it's, uh, it's hard to do that year after year, but when this happens and everybody can see that we're all in the same boat, we're all faced with this, it's a little easier to take that step and, and it's, it's easier to swallow. Mm-hmm. It's understandable, right? Yeah. Um, so are you raising your rates? Am I raising my rates? Yeah, are you raising your rates? For what? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, not... actually. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to do something that, um, especially, you know, back in the days and I haven't been doing it recently because I can't hear, um, as was just evidence, you didn't hear it by the very loud thud from above me. Oh yeah. The thud, <laughs> the, the thud, thud. thud. The, the thud of the thug of the six foot five thud right. that was above me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, because time is money. And so, yes, absolutely. It it would have to be, you know, for anything that I do that is outside of, you know, anything that's entertainment wise or some of the other things that I do, you know, you just, you have to. And here's the difficult thing with this, not with everybody. And I, I admire those that don't struggle with this feeling valuable enough, knowing your worth enough, believing in your worth enough to go enough. I have to raise my rates, Mm -hmm. right? That's difficult. And I know that there are artists that I work with that ham and haw about this and, you know, I'm going to raise my rate, but you tell me, I'm like, no, it, it really is time. It really is time. And, and maybe with, with this, this client that we work with because of their budget constraints. Let's bring it up slowly. And then you can raise it a little bit faster here, but then start to get them used to the idea, but you're worth, you are worth it. You are valued. They are not going to get what they get with you anywhere else. You got to know your value and you've got to believe in your own value. Yes, absolutely. Because nobody's going to want to give you more than you asked for. That's just the way it It is. Yes. Yes. I uh, I recently did a gig for a, a 
client that I love and adore and have worked with them many times. And I owe you a video, by the way. Um, yes, please. I, I know I have it here somewhere, but uh, they asked me to come and film something and it was going to be three days and they made no monetary offer. And I wrestled because I love them with whether or not to say, you know, I really can't come for nothing, but I did. And I didn't ask for a lot. I asked for much less than, than anybody else would have, but, um, but I, but they responded in a way that I was shocked and delighted to receive. And that was, Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Absolutely. So the, the lesson there is if you feel you're worth something, the worst thing you could do is not ask for it, ask for it. If somebody really wants to work with you and values your talent, they will make a note of that, try to get you what you want, at least in our shoes. And on occasion, when necessary, talk to you about lowering that rate for something special or for something that uh, somebody that needs specifically you, but doesn't have the budget, that's the way to work it mm -hmm. so that you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of, but you feel that every once in a while you're getting your rate, but every mm -hmm. once in a while, because you're getting your rate, you can, you can give somebody a, you know, a break. Um, and that, that feels better all around. You know. It absolutely does. And, and it also makes you somebody that people want to work more with because you, you as the artist or, you know, whatever, however, whatever your function is in that particular project, it makes you more valuable because you are flexible, you know, and you're not undervaluing yourself and you're flexible and negotiable. Yes. And that's, you know, I, I tell some of the artists because I do, talk to the artist probably more than anybody. And I do tell them that, let me know what your rate is. Let me know what the flex is on it. You know, I want you to get paid what you're worth. And when I, when I have to come back and say, it's just not in the budget, I always begin that sentence with, I never mean to devalue, underestimate, underappreciate you. It's not my job to make the decision for you. This is what the budget is. Can you meet it? Great. If you can't, we understand. But I don't want to take that decision out of your hands by saying, sorry, it's not going to work. Because I'm too afraid to say, can you be flexible with your pricing on this particular project? Right. But I put the decision in their hands and let them tell me. And that is also a function of having relationships with artists and having a mutual trust because you you did put you did hit the nail on the head when you said i'm gonna ask them i'm not going to say no it's not going to work if they give me a price that's too high most people would do that thank you but they don't they they aren't able to approach the uh, subject of negotiating with an artist because it is very tender conversation you have to be very careful you don't want to undermine or undervalue anybody or make them think that that's what you're doing. Um, and it does require a certain je ne sais quoi. You have to sort of, you know, be able to, um, again, develop a trust. And most people would just sort of shut that down and say, thank you and go somewhere else. So I can understand the hesitancy, but I still feel that at the end of the day, it doesn't do you any value mm -mm. 
and the value starts with you. There, there, there will be some people who will say, oh, I just don't think you're worth that much or it's worth that much not to offend. But there will be other people who will feel like, wow, what an incredible value you've just given us. And so, you know, you can't please everyone. And, and no. that is the point. It's the value, right? It's really about, especially in our world, what is the value of having somebody that shows up on time, is prepared, doesn't have their face in the music, is jovial, is uh, flexible, looks put together, uh, doesn't eat at the buffet, doesn't drink your alcohol. What, what is the value of that? You've got to ask yourself because that's the difference between a professional and someone who's not. Right. And there's a value, right? There's sort of a no worry, right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, you know. There are no drama mamas. No drama mamas. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So I think we have talked a lot about a lot of things. And I'm sure that D'Angelo has taken a little nap. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's riveted. He's riveted. We are, um, we'll be traveling again next week. It will be uh, when we are able to memorialize my father and then um, to uh, bury his, interestingly enough, his ashes. He's being cremated, but he's, we picked out an urn and he's being put in a niche. A, a column, I have to remember what they call it. It's not a column. It's a columbine something. I'll remember it for next time. So he's going to be put there. And um, so it's interesting that we're cremating him, but then we're putting him in a niche. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's going to have uh, a military uh, funeral with, um, uh, uh, I th think they're going to have a gun salute. It's so beautiful i i it's so it's so interesting to me because my father was not a gen about pomp and circumstance like it was he did not care right and this is going to be i i mean it's going to be the the, the most uh pomp and circumstance that he's had in his entire life will be when we put his ashes in the niche on Friday, the 29th with that military. I don't know that it's a 21 gun salute. I can't say that that's what it is, but. Um, I would imagine it is. I just, uh, I don't know. Can they get 21 well, guns? Well, you get, no, you get a certain amount of guns and they each shoot. Is it seven guns and they shoot three times? I think that's what it is. Okay. That's, that's, that's how they do it. So it's not 21 shots and it's not 21 guns. I've it's been to many. Um, okay. And so I should know the exact number of how that works or if it's three and it's, it's I'll so let... cathartically hauntingly yeah. beautiful and jarring each time it jars you. Yes. And I don't say that in a, in a, it, it it's a good thing. I don't know what it is. I have a lot of military in my family, a lot of Marines. And um, 
it, I don't know. I don't know how to explain to you, but it, I can feel it now when I'm talking to you because I just went through it with my with my uncle, and we have the 21 gun salute, and I, I can still feel it. So it'll resonate with you in in a beautiful way. Oh, I hope so. I hope it doesn't shock my mother to her grave, though. <laughs> She's probably gonna have. A, she'll probably pee in her pants a little bit. You know, you might want honestly, though, Anthony, you might want to have her wear earplugs. She can't hear anything. Maybe well, she's fine. Well, she's going to be fine. I just remember. She'll just go, wait, did I hear something? I'm cured. <laughs> I'm cured. Thank you, Jesus. I'm cured. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. All righty. Well, on that note, <laughs> this has been fun. Yes, it I hope has. it's been fun for all of you out there listening. If you have any questions or concerns, or you just want to say hi, just go to our website, bolada.com, look for the podcast tab, and leave your message for us there. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening anywhere else, go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, and then listen wherever you want. Doesn't matter. We don't care. Who cares? Care. I haven't said that enough lately. Oh, good. Well, you so have, that, you've had a lot to care about lately. You've had a lot to care about. This is true. This is true. So um, I guess that's it. Let's say goodbye. 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 Hey, stay engaging.